Tuesday night edition of the pod. This is a midweek for us, I guess. Most of you will listen to this on Wednesday. We missed out in our news because we recorded early yesterday the David Fisdale firing, which I said I didn't think would happen, but at least speculated that it could happen on the 15 and 60. So maybe we're ahead of the curve, maybe not on that one. And then Blake Griffin will miss time now up to two months with what sounds like a grade two MCL strain. We're sponsored today by Tracker. You can save 20% off your order for a great gift during this holiday season at the Tracker, T-R-A-C-K-R.com slash space. Let's get started here. I want to go with the Fizdale firing first because this did seem to come out of left field. There were the comments by Marcus O, which we talked about on Sunday night's program, saying that he was really hurt by being benched for the fourth quarter of uh, their latest loss. But uh, I mean, on a scale of one to 10, Danny, how surprised are you that this happened? Like a seven, maybe an eight. At the moment, I was. But what, what's always hard in these sorts of circumstances is that a lot of times, owners in particular, you know, people who are close to this, are bigger believers in their team than people like we are. And so if you thought that Memphis, not was this team that has been good, but has been sidetracked by injuries, but if for whatever reason you felt like they were worse than 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 thought they were, then this would be a more disappointing season than it was for, let's say, somebody like me. And when there are very few things that you can change because their players are largely on heavy contracts that are very hard to move, especially because they have these outstanding debts in terms of like that pick that's going to the Celtics, one of the few things they can do is change their coach. And so from that context, it makes a little more sense. However, the timing of it is certainly strange. Yeah, although perhaps not after Gasol's comments, perhaps not after having lost eight straight, six of which happened after Mike Conley was ruled out for quite some time with that aggravated Achilles and doesn't seem like he will be returning it anytime soon. Mark Gasol said, yeah, I met with management today, but it was only after they had made the decision to fire Fisdale already. This echoes to some degree the David Blatt firing in the, the its suddenness that there were at least rumored to be some issues with star players everyone swears up and down Gasol is not a coach killer blah 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 how much of that do you buy (sighs) I mean you don't have to say that you want a coach fired for it to be known that that's what you would prefer and it was seemed pretty apparent that Marc Gasol wasn't happy and that unhappiness appears to have been part of what led David Fisdell to be fired I think that sometimes people exaggerate and conflate and things like that in these circumstances but you know it was a factor in that and I don't think Mark deserves any scorn for that what you what it gets into is a complicated issue that we can't really know which is what is the root of their dysfunction i mean so uh, i think it was tim bontemps today and his piece brought up the incident that happened in i think it was december of last year when fisdale criticized the leadership on the team and that that was something marcus took personally which i can understand because he is a big part of the leadership on the team and so if you want to say fisdale shouldn't have gone that direction then that puts some blame on fisdale and behind the scenes apparently he had been encouraged Gasol to try to be more positive if anyone knows Fisdale he of course is extremely positive but uh in trying to be more positive he had negative feedback for uh <laughs> Gasol's own negative feedback which is kind of funny there but yeah you know I think it's it's clear that there is some friction some of this may too stem from as you said the outsized expectations as well but 
you know, whether or not Gasol pulled a Magic Johnson in 1981 and said, hey, you know, I want this guy fired. I can't play for this guy. Or whether it was, you know, hey, this is just a terrible look to have our franchise player really being upset and, and making comments about it in the media. I mean, it's very rare that you will see a franchise player make some statements about being upset with a coach even once, not to mention twice, as we've seen it happen with Fisdale. And then I had heard some rumblings to it in the offseason that perhaps the vets in memphis were not as into fizdale's style and you know i I just missed that but sort of filed it away as something that might happen that's why i mentioned it on the 15 and 60 and so you know i didn't think it would happen this quickly especially with fizdale this early on into his contract i'm not sure how much money he has left but this is a cash poor franchise as we know um anything else you want to say on the firing before we talk about maybe uh the the outlook for these guys the rest of the year no i i think the outlook as long as we're going to talk about the outlook for the rest of the year and moving forward because I think Memphis's lack of flexibility moving forward is an important part of the story. Yeah, it, it's ugly. They might have space in like 2019, 2020, maybe if they wanted to stretch Parsons, but you know, it, it's not good. And this was always going to happen, right? I mean, we've been talking about the inevitable decline of this team, like the inevitable heat death of the universe for the since 2013, 2014, really, you know, and frankly, the fact that they've held on as long as they have with the guys who have the health problems that they do, that Gasol having that renaissance season after breaking his foot two years ago, Conley was healthy most of last year he had that back issue but aside from that 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 was all and and they've moving on from Tony Allen and Zach Randolph and they traded Rudy Gay and that was supposed to be bad for the team and like you know they've kept this core going for longer than just about any core that I can remember if you think of Conley and Gasol as that for a team that really you know other than one year when they got swept and were just lucky to make the conference finals because of injuries to Oklahoma City and the Clippers that year to have kept that together this long I mean for seven years basically is something that you don't see very often and so for management to say all right you know what like the coach isn't performing well enough you know I I think that that that's not particularly fair if you want to say it's about the personality conflict then I I understand that a little bit more but then you say well how long is the person that he's in personality conflict with really going to be around anyway And that's exactly my point, is that if Memphis is unhappy with where things are, changing the coach isn't going to affect that much. It'll make the, they can make the players happier. One thing that I've heard thrown around is that I didn't know Lionel Holland still lives in Memphis. And that would, I guess, be a possibility if they wanted to go that direction. Just, I'm not saying anything like they're considering it, but it's, it's an interesting possibility there. And Memphis, they are, you know, they are what they are. There, There isn't a way to really functionally change this team. And there are a series of things that have led to this point. I mean, first of all, you have players that are good enough to keep. And and an important part of what you said about seven years larger together is also that they've been able to do that as a team that does not pay the luxury tax. That is also distinctly different. Like there have been good teams that have stayed together, but it has been because they were willing to spend and because of all that kind of stuff. Memphis has been able to, you know, through some of these small value additions. But what makes their situation unique is that they've been able to piece together these, you know, support players good enough to get to, you know, where, where they've been, you know, 
first, second round mostly, without hitting on draft picks. And in the last 10 years, I believe it is the only player who has made it to a second contract after being drafted in the first round by the Memphis Grizzlies is, is Mike Conley. All these other guys, and some of those have been high picks like Hashim Thabit, some of them have been lower picks like Wade Baldwin and Jordan Adams, they've all washed out. They have made up for some of that, including in recent years with Jamichael Green, James Ennis has done a really nice job for them. And they've done, you know, they've done more on the value market with veteran free agents than almost anybody in the entire league. But if you're missing on that many first round picks, it just gets hard to stay a deep team. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And, you know, they've hit on your occasional Dylan Brooks, or maybe if you want to say Andrew Harrison, although, you know, the fact that a guy played a lot doesn't necessarily make him a rotation player in terms of his actual quality. And right now they're at 15% chance to make the playoffs by 538. They are projected at 33 and 49 uh, with that 7 and 12 overall record. And you have to imagine that that's not going to trend in the opposite direction anytime soon with Conley due to miss much more time. So if you had to put blame on percentage of the front office, percentage of the coach, and percentage of just this is what happens in the NBA and it was unavoidable to begin with, how would you apportion that for their current predicament? Probably 70% on circumstance, 20% on front office, 10%, 5% on coach, you know, just kind of that sort of thing. Because so they were in this circumstance where they were given a choice of either kind of leaning in to another three, four years with these guys and the team would become more expensive with the way the salary cap was going to work or just absolutely sucking for like three, four years. They, They didn't have a middle path where they were going to somehow find their way to contention. They weren't going to woo, like clear a bunch of cap space, sign Paul George or LeBron James or do anything like that. So it's defensible to make that move. It ended up being that Chandler Parsons was the wrong bet. I don't know if we would have felt we were we were largely supportive of that. I don't know if we would have felt differently if we had access to his medical records. I don't know. But well, remember at the time we didn't know that he had had a, a meniscus repair exactly. and wasn't even necessarily going to be ready. I mean that that right. was something that that they knew at the time and, and that we did not when we were evaluating that signing. Exactly. Um, but like, but I, even, I mean, if you want to, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. But even if they were going to go after one of the other guys for that year who was available for that amount of money, I don't think any of those particularly worked out. I don't remember any of those kind of high value well, guys. Eric Gordon would would have worked out. Ryan Anderson. Uh, might have worked out you know i mean those are yeah that's they true had, they had the space to, they for those guys yeah because the max guys they probably could have even gotten the... both of those guys even if they wanted to as houston did but you know obviously you can't just say hey the two out of the 15 contracts that were signed for 50 and, million and, or above and or those were both were contracts that at least i personally was very critical of because i thought they gave them too much money for too long yeah. so yeah and, and i agree on anderson gordon less so i thought that was pretty good but uh and, and just where the medical staff has been i mean they reorganized that this year year but they have had a lot of issues i mean like that jordan adams basically like playing his first game and playing like 12 straight minutes in a 50 pound point blowout to the warriors and then never playing again in his career essentially like you know and having to have multiple surgeries after that i mean that's that's just one black market among many on this medical staff so and that obviously management controls that and i say management because it's ownership it's 
the front office it's all of those so i mean I, it's hard to put much blame here on fizdale but you know as they say it's easier to change the coach than the players and the new coach now will be jb bicker's staff not a guy who particularly impressed us in his first stint in houston what do you recall of his time there in the 2015-16 season also an interim stint yeah i mean he's becoming the new jim boylan at this point i mean maybe you maybe you if you're on a staff you just you don't want to hire him just yeah. because it well, seems jim like- boylan eventually won a championship in cleveland so that's maybe true happen to jb2 and so a bigger staff what i remember from that rockets team was just that he was more of a caretaker like that team was kind of lost in the wilderness and he didn't bring them out of the wilderness but he didn't lead them any further into it so i don't think that he's going to change the way the grizzlies play unless changing the way the grizzlies play is what you know guys like marcus Sol want to do I, th- I think that his job is really to make those guys as happy as they can be and to execute you know it's hard to change big structural stuff during a season something that fans lose sight of a lot is how little nba teams practice during the season because they're just playing games and traveling all the time so you can't like oh implement a new offense or or anything like that you can add some principles you can do things like that but that's really all and so i think he'll you know maybe do a little bit of that and it's easier to revert if you're going to do that to something that you've already done so i don't think he'll do a whole lot there and that's okay but i also don't know and this is part of the reason why i again this isn't an i'm saying they messed up here it's just that i don't know with let's say it's another two years of this and maybe you could say that it was untenable with Fisdale. is would he have been the right coach for them in the next phase because maybe his you know team player you know maybe his raw raw kind of sensibilities that he's very was very popular among the guys on the heat most notably maybe that would have worked with the next memphis team but then you can make the counterpoint was is he one of the would he have been one of those clear positives and if he's not one of those clear positives at this point then you have just as good a chance trying to find it with the next coach yeah i mean i thought he did a nice job last year mm-hmm. bringing them into the modern era to the extent that it was possible bring zach randolph off the bench for most of the year then going back to him i thought he got a fair amount out of his team other than his bizarre insistence on playing andrew harrison together with mike conley which was kind of ridiculous uh, but aside from that i, I thought he did pretty well and, and bigger set just to be fair to him i thought that really i was extremely unimpressed by uh his player usage in that houston golden state series i was extremely unimpressed by the effort of that rockets team which really got blown out in three games by a rock a warriors team that didn't have steph curry uh that was and they won the one game at home but it seemed like their chemistry was obviously really bad and some of that you could put on dwight howard i'm sure everyone talks about how miserable he is but it didn't seem like he was able to get that group to play together there are a lot of recriminations he was addicted to Corey brewer as well which was a problem i mean now granted you and i were calling for kj mcdaniels and as if you see how mcdaniels career turned out that probably wasn't the answer either so maybe we were being too harsh on him back then but certainly i can say that he didn't do anything to impress me in a positive manner so you know i'm not gonna say he's gonna do a bad job or anything like that but i will say i don't think he's gonna cause some magical turnaround just as he was unable to do in houston taking over for kevin McHale. I have no real arguments with that. Uh, All right, let's uh, get to this Blake Griffin news uh, with the Clippers. But first, this from Tracker. I know this because I'm somewhat of an absent-minded guy about just things that I leave places. I'm the type of guy who walks into a room to go and get something, and then I can't remember what it is. Or, you know, I'm always, like, thinking about, you know, some pick-and-roll coverage or 
what we're going to do our next show about or something like that. But and so I always am losing stuff. And my fiance, it stopped getting cute a long time ago because we'd be ready to go. And I didn't know where my wallet was. I didn't know where my keys were. Now that we moved into this new house, there's actually like a fair amount of space, like extra rooms now. I don't know where I left stuff, but no longer an issue because I have the tracker. With that, Traxxer Pixel. You will never worry about losing your things again. It's the lightest Bluetooth tracking device on the market. You just place it on whatever you tend to lose, keys, wallets, purse. It's small enough to fit anywhere. And when you misplace an item that has a tracker pixel attached, use your smartphone and a 90 decibel alert will help you find it in seconds. Or you can take that item and use it to find your phone, even if your phone is on silent with their app. Even if your item is miles away, you can use the largest crowd locate network in the world. It's like ways basically for finding your things. Tracker makes a great gift, and during this holiday season, save 20% off your order when you go to thetracker.com. Thetracker, T-R-A-C-K-R.com, slash Capspace is that URL. That slash Capspace URL is easy to remember because we talk about Capspace so often here on the show. See, I varied it up that time. I usually say we talk about Capspace all the time in the program. See, that's thetracker.com, slash Capspace will get you 20% off. Let them know that you came from us. So from a team that I was wrong about, and you were right about in the preseason to a team that it's looking like we were both right about the Los Angeles Clippers. Yeah. It's frustrating and sad that a team with so many guys that we have enjoyed watching and a team that at full strength could have been a very good team. I mean, we talked about that when we did the season preview and various things that a healthy Clippers team could win 50 games, but that there was always this possibility that, well, maybe even more than a possibility that they were going to have this. I mean, Dan Wojcik, former Clippers writer, talked about today that they had three guys in Patrick Beverly, Dylan Gallinari, and Blake Griffin that have had one 70 game season between the three of them in the last three years and now it looks like it's going to be none of them this year because Blake Griffin has a grade two MCL sprain and that you know it, it, they haven't said it was grade two but they said it's a sprained MCL and that it is about a two-month time period that's what a grade two often is and for those of you who are who, who are trying to think about trying to place that that's what Rudy Gobert had in December of 2015 that's what Kevin Durant had in February of last year and so I mean this functionally it it ends the Clippers chances of being a playoff team this season yeah those chances were already dwindling although they had slightly righted the ship of late with a couple of wins to get to 7 and 11 before griffin was injured last night austin rivers fell into his knee from the side going for a loose ball jeff stotts saw the mechanism he called it uh either medial meniscus or mcl good news is he won't need surgery he'll probably have to wear a brace when he comes back as most of these guys have I'm sure that since they have their draft pick and since they will probably be out of it, that they will absolutely have him take his time coming back. That is the way to do it. The Clippers do have a 0.6 positive net rating in the 237 minutes that Griffin has been off the floor this season, uh, but that is based on an unsustainable 99 defensive rating, which that just is not going to continue. And, and they actually really need him as a defensive player as well to implement the switching scheme. And without him, him and this gallo is still out now as well i mean it's basically gonna be deandre jordan and a bunch of backups that he's playing with I and mean, lou williams is probably the 
your only other guy that you can even look at as an established starter is going to be in the lineup here and i remember kp we were talking and he had a pretty rosy outlook with the rpm projections for the clippers and i asked well how many games do you have blake griffin and gallo playing i think he said like 70 and 68 and i was like if they play that many i would be surprised and, and it's turned out to be that way but now also we'll have to talk about deandre jordan we've already begun speculating on him i mean now it seems even more likely that he could depart i had made the comment that blake griffin couldn't be traded until january 15th when beverly went down for the season uh now the idea of trading blake maybe is kind of a non-starter with yet another injury i mean what does this mean now for his career this was supposed to be the good year of uh that five-year max contract he signed in the offseason after this year if we assume he picks up his player option he still has 142 million left over four years about 35 million a year and oh why would we assume he's going to pick up that player option ah <laughs> oh, good times it's good it's good when i can at least make you laugh every once in a while you make me i will do a quick aside here and people ask me why i laugh so rarely on the show and the answer to this is because i am muted an exceedingly large proportion of the time when you were talking sometimes i'm typing which i know you don't like or other things so i'm i'm noting that now for the record so people people do that uh if people have wondered that but well, well so what i realized is i have to interrupt you and then you'll actually laugh at there we go because you won't be muted during yeah. those times so everyone who complains that we interrupt each other too much that's that's why i'm doing it sure for, for comedy purposes for comedy purposes and and so with blake his contract always seemed like a negative to me and this is another reason for even those who are more optimistic than i to be justifiably cautious about this and i mean griffin is not relying on his athleticism in the same way that he used to, but that's a part of what makes him special. And I mean, we talked, I think that was the game against the Knicks where it seemed like he was just driving into a brick wall every time because he couldn't muscle around Porzingis and Porzingis is bigger than he is in terms of length. So he couldn't really go around him in that way. And so I think we're going to see more of that Blake Griffin, at least in the like month or two after he comes back, because as somebody who has covered a couple of different players coming off of MCL sprains, one of the things you know is that even when a guy returns from it he's not 100 percent. and well it was incredible actually how good I mean, people always forget like that kd was able to be as good as he was last year i was right. shocked that, that he was be able to be that good because usually most of these guys will kind of wreck their season a little bit um mm-hmm. but and we even saw yeah, that that happened with steph curry was, his was grade one although he tried obviously to come back during the playoffs maybe earlier than he would have had it been the regular season uh, but for griffin i think and, and we've been banging this drum that they should have rebuilt over the summer that is looking to be much more prescient now i mean and kevin pelton had a great point about memphis in his piece basically relaying the same conclusion that we have that uh you know it's the dark times ahead that simply wanting to make the playoffs sometimes isn't even enough and so they are experiencing below their medium outcome but certainly something that was realistic and then you know, i think a lot of these teams when you say okay you know we're a 47 win team well you're a 47 win team in the best case scenario you know and i think teams will kind of just project themselves as that and they they forget about the possibility that you know maybe your median outcome or god forbid below your medium outcome is just as likely as the sunniest potential outcome yeah, i think I mean, that's the error that this clippers team made teams often it seems like they look at their 75 to 80 percent instead of their 50 percent and you know maybe they consider it but you want it you want to be out to you're you're trying to sell tickets you're trying to sell a vision so a lot of your public statements yeah. are going to go in that direction but and, the public statements 
you're in, if you could realistically be in championship contention, I think that makes a lot more sense. If you're just, all right, you know, we're trying to get the seventh seed, it doesn't make so much sense. Right. And the Clippers have this challenge because some of the players they have are like on big money, like Blake Griffin, I think are, are very difficult to move. I think, I think he just makes too much money, kind of like Conley and Gasol, too much yeah. money for too long. Yeah. Th- that's why I was on this whole, hey, January 15th, if he keeps playing this well, like trade his ass now because you're not going to be able to do it beyond now. And so you look at uh, really who's on this team and Tadosic is dealing with this plantar fascia issue. So his contract is fine, but he's not healthy. So you have that. Austin Rivers, I would say, is a net negative on his contract. Gallo is, I would say, a net negative, but it's close. You know, it depends on how healthy you think he can be. DeAndre is a clear positive. Yeah. I, I think he's clearly a, a negative at this point. Lou Gallo. Williams is a, is a positive, but he's an expiring contract. So the value there is pretty limited. It's not like bird rights for him are super valuable. So yeah, you, you move the things that you can and i mean you consider if you could find somebody who's willing to like wave his physical or whatever you i think you consider beverly as well but a lot of those are it's just kind of dependent on it but then you're sitting there going well if you move those guys what is this team going to look like because they're not going to gain the flexibility they don't have the assets because they still owe first round picks like memphis there are a lot of parallels between these two teams and you know what i just thought of this sorry they should try to trade beverly for okafor and since he's non-guaranteed for next year uh, do the austin rivers thing not recovering do the austin rivers thing again yeah they could do that uh, you know okafor could play a little bit they don't have like a great backup center in the pipeline they could give them some minutes especially if they move on from from deandre and then philly beverly they could either just move on from him next year with his non-guarantee or he would be the perfect backup point guard kind of spot starter to play with ben simmons well, so, and, so that, and that if, might be good yeah. and if they needed to sweeten that deal the sixers have this have these series of fringy swingmen, which is actually something the Clippers really need. They need other lottery tickets at that. So like James, Justin Anderson, if he was in that trade, James or Justin, why am I forgetting this? Anyway, Justin, Justin Anderson, he could be fine. I think TLC is too good to include in that trade, but somebody like that, you, you could, I, I like, I'm, I'm on board with the idea. And then also with the Sixers, they have enough flexibility where if Beverly really works, they can still get the guy they want in free agency and it doesn't sacrifice that. And if you're a believer in the idea of 2019 for them, he definitely doesn't conflict with that so yeah totally on board think that's a cool idea and and the Sixers yeah, have, yeah. But, but where were you going before that sorry I but so you. but so the idea is they have like Lou Williams is potentially valuable to another team I'm sure he would probably unless he gets onto a really good team would actually be fine staying on the Clippers and just putting up ridiculous numbers and then trying to use that to parlay into free agency to go somewhere better but you know it's not yeah, like he, you're gonna he had get 42 um, against the Lakers last night, yeah so, so I mean he'll he, have his chance I mean it's just like he did on last year's Lakers he'll be playing even more minutes now yeah same building and so so you have the that kind of a situation and i think they'll move him for, and and deandre the the question that they need to have and, and this was a point that bobby marks brought up which i think was very astute is that deandre jordan doesn't have an agent right now and so one of the components of this for a lot of the teams that would consider trading for him is are is this a pure rental or is there a chance or a likelihood that he's going to come back and so when you have an agent you can have tentative ideas you're not you're never going to line something up but you can have an idea of where it's going to go but the other team that needs that is the Clippers because theoretically I mean I think this is less likely I know we you and I have talked about this offline a fair amount about the idea of whether the Clippers would just see the see that this was just a year that was sabotaged and they should just run it back I think that's a lot less likely now still possible but remember DeAndre yeah, I mean, they, they've uh they managed to delude themselves that way many times before right. and, and and DeAndre I, I was less critical when, when they had Paul and Blake younger you know it was easier to sure to do that but now yeah I mean if they're like oh hey you know I mean 
especially keeping like Beverly, you know, I mean, he's going to be like 30 years old. You know, if they're just like, hey, we're, we're, we'll keep him. He's coming off a micro fracture and a meniscus repair at age 30. I mean, the, the idea that he is going to be good next year is unlikely. Maybe he could be an okay backup. Uh, and, and then, you know, he's obviously an injury risk again as well. Micro fracture is not the greatest surgery in terms of the recovery rate. And Blake, same thing. So, you know, if they keep all these guys around and re-sign DeAndre and try to run this back again, I mean, that would be very, I shouldn't say surprising, but that wouldn't make much sense. But there's also this arena thing that they're working on now. And then there's also the fate potentially of Doc Rivers stripped of his personnel power. And then now they've got all these new voices with Lawrence Frank as the head basketball decision maker. They brought in Michael Winger from OKC as well. They brought in Mark Hughes from New York. Jerry West. guy. Yeah, Jerry West is in there too. You know, how much are those guys? I mean, at least Jerry West, he'll tell it to him straight. You know, and maybe, maybe that's the saving grace here is that he'll be like, hey, you know what? Like, it's not working, guys. Let's hope. And I mean, remember, they also have all these guys with player options for next year. I think we expect most of them, other than DeAndre, to pick it up. And so that changes this picture as well. And so even trading a lot of things that aren't nailed down doesn't solve any of their problems and it doesn't make them flexible unless they can move Blake and or Gallinari. So it's a it's a tough nut to crack. That's why I didn't want them to create this nut in the first place. It's it's a problem. And it's sad because, I mean, this is a talented team that now is out of the picture. And this is actually something I wanted to talk a little bit about. And I was originally going to save this for the time that we discussed the Jazz Nuggets game. But you and I had talked at length about how the Western Conference, you know, there were all these teams that were potentially playoff teams. And if we're going to take the Clippers and probably the Grizzlies out of that, we're getting really close to nine. And that's including the Utah Jazz. Yeah, it is. And they now, uh, David Locke noted this, they've been over a 110 offensive rating, I think, in five of their last six games, something like that, against some bad defenses. And boy, did the Nuggets defense uh, look bad in this one. And the uh, Vivint Smart Home Arena has been a house of horrors for the Nuggets this year. They will be close at halftime, close to the third quarter, and then just give up these crazy, like, 50 to 20 runs and just get blown out of the building as they did today. I mean, their defense in the third quarter was just so bad in this one. Jamal Murray just couldn't stay with Ricky Rubio. Just normal, pretty normal, like spread pick and rolls with guys like Joe Ingles and Ricky Rubio attacking off the dribble and Denver just could not deal with it they would Rubio would score a bunch of times uh, on Murray and then they would bring help over and they'd throw it to Derek Favors who had a a wonderful game in this one uh, over 20 points Uh, he's a very very solid offensive center at this point and then you know if they would bring another guy over they just throw it to someone in the corner and at one point the Jazz were eight out of ten on corner three-pointers they really just could not get anything done defensively and then even without Rudy Gobert they struggled on the other end as well yeah and and so now when you're looking at the the Western Conference playoff picture I mean really it looks at this moment to me like it's nine teams gunning for eight spots and as we've already seen it doesn't take much for that nine to become eight or maybe even heaven forbid even seven because it'd be very few of these teams are just locked in and just you know like whatever 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 comes that's really i would say four teams are in that boat so that doesn't mean it's going to be a bad playoff picture that doesn't mean it's going to be bad when we get into april and uncompetitive series but it's certainly different than what we expected yeah it really is and the lakers only given a seven percent chance of making the playoffs right now i would say that's maybe a little bit higher but you know they're down at eight and 12 now so they're gonna have to start playing a lot better they'll 
probably be 8 and 13 after they play Golden State, which we'll be doing for the Twitter NBA show tomorrow. Though th- those games can be close. Uh, Golden State has lost to the Lakers and Staples each of the last two years when they've been uh, one of the greatest teams of all time. And right now, seasons. Steph Curry and Kevin Durant are both questionable. So that also. Yeah. yeah. But, but anyway, in the large, yeah, I mean, you know, the Nuggets already have a major injury. The Jazz already have a major injury. The Pelicans, uh, you know, are known to have a major injury or two. <laughs> uh, so. And Portland I mean, teams is like exceedingly exceedingly susceptible to a major injury i mean we've seen how minor injuries have have been a pretty big factor for them for you know like aminu and and harkless have had some issues and that's really hurt them a lot yeah but i mean at least those teams portland has five games over 500 right right now if that really successful east coast trip um but you know the thunder have to be feeling a lot better right now the blazers the wolves even after that uh completely miserable loss to the wizards tonight uh, which we didn't get a chance to really watch that much of um so yeah let's uh we'll do another read here and then talk about some of these games from tonight you were at uh, you got to watch the sacramento kings two nights in a row uh which i'm extremely jealous of uh so i only saw them last night so we'll talk about their game against the box and also maybe a little bit about uh their win actually over the warriors last night and then also we want to talk uh the Cavaliers completely destroying Miami 32 points in the first half for, for Kevin Love in that one right after this so Danny I always like it when you get to be involved in the reads Harry's is offering custom and limited edition shaving sets that make perfect gifts and you are a huge fan of their foaming shave gel that is included in those sets. Yeah, I am. I mean, I, I used it today when I was getting ready to go up to the Golden One Center for that game because it's, I like it because it's, it gets a consistent shave each time. And since it's foaming, a small amount does you a lot of good. So you don't have, you're not burning through it as quickly. And so those are two things that I really like in it. And I, I, if I find a product that I, I enjoy, I use it until I can't use it anymore. And so as long as Harry's is a business, I'm going to keep using it. Yeah, I really enjoy that shave gel. I enjoy their German engineered five blade cartridges. They actually bought a factory in Germany. They even got some special limited edition winter chrome and emerald green handles. So they are sprucing up the look of their razors. It looks great sitting out on the counter. They have this little aluminum cube that they give you to, as a razor stand that actually looks pretty good in your bathroom and doesn't take up a ton of space as well. So your special offer for Dunktown listeners, we've partnered with Harry's to give you five dollars off your order when you go to harrys.com slash cap space that's harrys.com slash cap space this offer is only available for the holidays check out those limited edition gift sets give harry's and give handsome get your holiday shopping done early and take advantage of free shipping as well so once again to get a limited edition holiday shave set while supplies last go to harrys.com slash cap space right now once again harrys.com slash cap space yeah so you saw the kings last night as did I in in what was probably one of the worst games of the Steve Kerr era for the Warriors I tweeted after the game that the better team won and and despite the fact that Steph Curry and Kevin Durant didn't play to give up a 120 offensive rating to the Kings was pretty miserable and then the Kings morphed back into the Kings again tonight but just in general Danny after seeing them in person these last two nights what are your impressions on the Sacramento team and some other players I mean obviously we spent a lot of time in the 15 and 60 establishing that they're not very good this year but what did you think 
get of these guys just in, in general and maybe some of their players individually their biggest problem right now is that i don't think they have too many players that create seams or panic in an opposing defense you know De'Aaron fox can do it at points and he's he's quick as all get out and i, I like him as a player long term but he just has to figure a lot out from here you know he has to get get kind of get multiple speeds and get also get just better spacing around him and then guys like buddy healed like i don't think buddy healed striking fear in the hearts of most defensive teams he can't have big stretches like he did at the end against the clippers and then that really also applies to their bigs and in this game there were two kind of elements of that that i thought were really fascinating so one was it looked to me like the bucks were doing less of the hedging and trapping which has been such a staple of the jason kidd tenure and guess what they still got plenty of turnovers partially because their length surprises teams like they the people there were a couple times where i think willie collie stein threw one pass and a couple other guys where they just assumed the pass was going to get there and nope like Giannis's big ass arm got there or thon makers or somebody else and so what that led to was not only did sacramento turn the ball over 11 times in the first half 10 of those were steals so the bucks were just getting a ton in transition and that was a big difference from last night because on monday the warriors weren't getting a lot in transition they weren't forcing many turnovers and the bucks are especially with Giannis, are absolutely molten a lot of times in those circumstances and Giannis almost scored his number in the first three quarters despite dealing with foul trouble he had 32 points on 11 to 16 from the field and 9 to 13 from the line they had no answers for him and then that was the other part with Sacramento was just and I think this will come with personnel it's just that they don't have a guy to slow down Giannis their their threes aren't really threes and their fours are fives so they just don't really have off the right guy for that so that's not you know those are guys that are hard to find and they didn't choose to allocate their resources that way this year they will have and the high draft pick this year they can use that on it they have they will have cap space probably in 2019 but you know I like De'Aaron Fox I think some of their other young guys can become role players maybe Frank Mason can Frank Mason was wonderful in the game against the Warriors he was less spectacular here so they just need the guys to put on top to make everything else balance out kind of like we talked about with the Orlando Magic last year yeah I I second all that and really I mean it was so difficult for them guarding Giannis I mean their best matchup for Giannis individually is Willie Cauley-Stein I mean you said their threes are threes I think their threes are twos maybe even even more they so don't than have that. threes uh, <laughs> right right I mean, I mean Justin Jackson I guess Vince Carter is probably the closest thing and Dave Yeager actually was able to change that game against the Warriors defensively by switching everything Cauley Stein at center Vince Carter at the four and the Warriors actually didn't really have any answers for that down the stretch and then Cauley Stein had 19 points he crushed some massive dunks on the Warriors coming down the lane and for alley-oops as well which really caused some problems and the Kings shot it extremely well from three but in general they really outplayed it they actually took 52 shots in the paint last night against the Warriors well, and, which and they, pretty they played with so much more energy and the Bucks were I don't think they were at their best or anything like that but they they brought they brought their normal energy and so the kings didn't have those sort of effort-based competitive advantages we didn't cover that game for dunked on but early on and this this kind of lost shuffle later on but i'm thinking about it now scal got a couple of really nice effort plays on the warriors there was one where he got a duck in on draymond then there was another one where he got an offensive rebound off a really low like a low chance one but he worked for it and got an and one in a game that was basically decided by one possession those sorts of things matter the warriors didn't do much of that at 
at all in that game. Yeah, uh, just some more general observations on these guys. I think, you know, George Hill had a really nice game. And then on the second night of a back-to-back, he had one solid baseline drive. But other than that, was 0 for 2 in 20 minutes in this game. And so he really, I mean, the pattern has been that on back-to-backs, when he has to play a lot of games, it seems like he doesn't have the same juice, perhaps, because of that toe. I know that last year, in particular, he was struggling on back-to-backs with that toe. And we don't know what kind of shape that's in at this point. And Kali Stein, I mean, he showed his potential in that Warriors game defensively as well he's just he's got to cut out the bs you you know there's just too many horrible post moves that he'll go to uh, as we talked about in the 15 and 60 and and his first instinct when he gets the ball to top the key is like try and dribble and drive to the basket like no that's that's not a great idea but you know he's actually he's shown a little more passing vision he had six assists against the warriors he had a uh, four turnovers though against the bucks those same passes the bucks were just laying off and and using their length on him i've liked what i've seen from bogdanovich uh, his passing vision has been solid of ladies getting a nice chemistry with Cauley sign and, and of course he had that game winner going right by Draymond Green in the Warriors game you know this is still a bad team I mean I think the Bucks. you saw them in person now you mentioned their defense I thought that that was I don't know if it's my imagination that they're less aggressive but it looked like they were it looked like Henson in pick and roll defense was not quite as trapping as hard on most plays and guess what like a team that can't do anything they're able to just keep them in front of them and then they try and do passes and get them deflected anyway with their length and another big revelation playing their best players actually leads to good results i mean they started bledsoe snell middleton Giannis, and henson that's either their best five without jabari or close to it they did a good job and then their main guys off the bench were brogdon though liggins did play too much and thought and so okay you can make that work that's a good team the, you have you have good balance there it's not like you're something that just like you know, a huge weakness of other than you know some guys who can't shoot but it's it's a good team and if they focus on what makes them a good team and and rely on their competitive advantages like really at this point with the bucks if all they do is beat the crap out of all the bad teams and then win a few more of those kind of like middling games they'll be fine and then you know they'll pick up a few and they'll and they'll lose a lot to the best teams because their style doesn't work but that's all they have to do they don't have to reinvent the wheel here to to be a playoff team and even maybe to be like the sixth seed or something like that i would love for them to be better than that but pragmatically i'm good with it yeah and it's just you mentioned like against a team like sacramento all you have to do is not screw up right like don't be so aggressive that you're creating openings for a team that can't create any openings against you if you're just switching i thought eric bledsoe was wonderful tonight pushing the ball in transition he was 21 points 7 of 10 finally oh, got the three ball going that three finish or four. he had was that on Kali stein or was that on kufa yes it was it was it, beautiful it, yeah, that was fantastic like coming down the lane double pump full extension with the left hand and just uh, kissed it in totally under control off the glass he, he really caused problems for Darren Fox with his strength as well that's something we knew would be a limitation for Fox uh, coming in uh, he's got to get a lot stronger he weighed like a buck 70 coming out of Kentucky uh, and Bledsoe yeah, had a number of drives where he was able to just you know go right through him to the to the basket but i mean for 21 points and 24 minutes Giannis had 32 points in 26 minutes uh it was really an efficient game and then chris middleton only took seven shots you know and five of those were threes you know I, I really liked the way that he was operating his game as well rather than trying to like get in the post and, and iso as much i liked seeing more uh, three-pointers from him and, and i mean as long as kid doesn't do any crazy shit with the rotations which you can never uh, rely on but like i mean he started 
Gary Payton in that game against the Jazz where they got blown out, right? And then, you know, they went back to Tony Snell in the second half. But I mean, come on, man. Like, Gary Payton, just the biggest thing this team lacks is shooting. Like, why are you going to put him out there? I know he's like, he plays hard and he's enjoyable to watch defensively. Maybe if you had a team with a lot of shooting, you could get something out of him defensively and just as a guy who could create some havoc in transition. But I mean, no. Yeah. And I, it was, I know, it wasn't the greatest Thon Maker game, but I thought he did, he did some nice things out there and he, he is still comfortable stretching a defense. He took a couple long twos and a couple of threes in this game. And, you know, he, he was fine. I thought Henson was less, less destructive in it and kind of that way that he can be in this one, partially because the Kings just don't have the talent to exploit his weaknesses. And yeah, it was, it, it was good to see that. And also I, I think you got to see this when you were in Milwaukee, but I hadn't covered a Bucks game in person. So watch, I watched Jabari warm up for about 25 minutes and he's not all the way back, but you know, he was moving out there. He was shooting threes. He was shooting pull-ups, all that kind of stuff. And it just, it reminded me of just how much I like him. And even though he wasn't like doing game stuff, it wasn't at game speed, just a reminder of, oh yeah, like they, they have all this talent and they're missing one of their three best players and he'll be back at some point. Let's talk about Cleveland and Miami now. Kevin Love, just a complete destruction of the heat. Got off early, scored 19 of the first 24 points for the Cavs, finished with 38 points in only 25 minutes. He really got it going early from the three-point line playing at center being guarded by Hassan Whiteside who just had no chance and Ty Lue did a great job going after Whiteside with some of those old Minnesota style shooting sets where love would come off of a screen uh, this will shock you but Hassan Whiteside was not able to get through a screen to guard Kevin Love at the three-point line and then even one time when there was help that came over uh, on a closeout Love was able to pump fake take a step inside the arc then step back to his right behind the three-point line and take it three I mean how many centers uh, can take that kind of a shot in NBA history very very few I mean the the type of versatility that Love has for his jump shot is something that's underrated and then they started switching more and he was just killing everyone in the post like he got Josh Richardson on it him a couple of times got him in foul trouble uh, and ended up going to the line for 14 out of 17 I mean to get 17 free throw attempts in 25 minutes is just unreal and also was able to score efficiently around the rim it was really just an incredible performance by Kevin Love who's actually had some incandescent performances I mean he had 34 points in the first quarter against the Trailblazers last year and this was another I mean you don't face many centers like Kevin Love, but I was thinking because I was working on something for the Athletic about Hassan Whiteside and the Warriors that he in that in the game against Golden State he played 16 minutes because he got kind of played out of it by 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 Zaza Pachulia to a point, and he has trouble with these kind of matchups too. Like there are games that are good Hassan Whiteside matchups, and there are ones that are bad Hassan Whiteside matchups. But it is another reminder of like, oh yeah, this is another player type that takes advantage of him more than he takes advantage of them. Because what is he going to post up Kevin Love 15 times and? score a few of those and not pass the ball ever like he's there the net of that series is going the other way yeah and it was just a complete blowout 75 49 at halftime and cleveland in part because lebron james received his first career ejection just a one technical foul straight up ejection by kane fitzgerald they only scored 33 points in the second half to win at 108 97 but the heat never really threatened even in the second half and i thought cleveland's defense continued 
continues to be much better. That's going to be a story we're going to have to really dig into on the 15 and 60 next week and take a look at why it is that they've been playing so much better. Now, Gordon Dragic got in early foul trouble in this one, finished only one of five. Uh, so he, he being able to take advantage of Jose Calderon early, they lost that. His second foul call was extremely questionable on a Calderon baseline drive, like way under the basket where they called him for a foul that was like, all right, Jose's not going anywhere. Like, don't call Gordon Dragic's second foul on that. Uh, but you know, at least the refereeing was uh, inconsistent for everyone. LeBron got thrown out. The party line is, hey, he's just not getting the foul calls. He drives a lot to the basket. He doesn't get foul calls. Do you think that he gets fouled a lot and doesn't get the call? Yeah, but LeBron is an incredibly hard guy to officiate because he's, you know, we've, we've talked about the kind of the J.J. Barea plays where a small guy just gets a call because he gets bullied over. Well, LeBron doesn't get sympathy because he's built like a, like a goddamn tank and he's also one of the most skilled guys in the league so he gets hit a lot and he does a fair amount of of hitting himself and i i think that there are times that that can be frustrating but that was true for Shaq too i mean it's been true for a lot of the physically dominating players of their era yeah well i mean you know this is what i always said about demarcus cousins right like cousins if you're going to the foul line over 10 times a game at some point you have to say like you're just not going to get more foul calls unless of course you're coming uh but lebron is shooting a career low in free throws and he's shooting in the paint just as much as ever if not more and he has a great point he says hey you know there are jump shooters in this league who are going to the foul line 10 times a game and you know it's worth noting that overall around the league fouling is and free throws are at a lower percentage of possessions than they ever have been but he has a point that guys going to the rim don't get as many calls i think as they used to and especially because he i mean he'll flop every once in a while when he gets hit to try and get a flagrant foul but he just goes to score you know he's not gonna like feel contact if he feels some contact outside from like someone hand checking him he's not gonna be like oh i felt some contact i'm just gonna throw up a shot now you know and and try to go to the line or try to just get a blocking foul that won't be a a shooting foul this time he's just like well okay you're gonna try to hand check me fuck that i'm gonna go through you and i'm gonna try and score and i appreciate that approach it's part of why i really like watching him uh in contrast to maybe some other players who milk the referees for everything they're worth so it's something to keep an eye on i mean i i don't see a ton of plays where i'm like okay he's really like getting hit on the arm or something like that and but if he's not getting hit on the arm then on plays where there's body contact you know i I think it's true that he doesn't get the benefit of the doubt as much as slider players do because he just you know is able to play through that contact in a way that others are not right and i can imagine why that's frustrating i mean if you if you see it and especially Especially because certain times he doesn't get the benefit of those calls defensively, though he doesn't commit many fouls. And so, yeah, it's tough and and it can be frustrating. But at a certain point, that's where the league is. And also, you know, he has benefited a lot. I'm thinking specifically of the 2016 finals from the way that playoff games are officiated. You know, the idea of it being tougher, not as an offensive player, but as a defensive player. And so it's kind of, you know, it's it's a double-edged sword. And so as long as it's being called consistently, and I think that's his issue with the jump shooters versus the drivers, but as long as it's being called consistently i i I sympathize but there's a there's a limit to that sympathy a couple other notes uh, on this one Uh, kane fitzgerald saying the reason he rejected lebron was a a continuation of things first 
an air punch after the non-call. Oh, he no. Like he was being ridden all the way down court. Uh, then he, you know, really stalked after Fitzgerald. And then uh, a number of expletives uh, right in his ear was, uh, and that was enough uh, that uh, I, I believe I believe the term he said was vulgarities in his ear. Yes. Yes. That's a, I mean, I think a vulgarity is probably worse than an expletive. Uh, right. Like, I think, I, I think, I, I think a, a, I a vulgarity think... is like, now you're starting to maybe tell someone like what they can do with themselves right. as opposed like to vul- just simply to me, expressing a, a vague concept. Like to me, a vulgarity <laughs> is like a song like what's your fantasy whereas an expletive is just like cuss words <laughs> uh a good stat from john schumann here something that we have talked about for a long time is uh, kevin love field goal attempts per 12 minutes of playing time because this will normalize it for playing more in one quarter than another 6.1 field goal attempts per 12 minutes in the first quarter and that basically declines down to 3.6 in the fourth quarter this of course was garbage time so we didn't see that but i do think that they definitely don't go to him enough later in games especially because he's usually effective early on um another trend that i am loving and lebron will both throw these passes to love or love will throw them to lebron and we saw this also in a couple of the other games recently too is the full court or, or two-thirds court basically like lob post entry pass to a guy who's like out ahead in transition and then will just kind of start trying to post up when the ball is still in the backcourt and i love that teams are brazen enough to try and throw the ball there and a lot of times they'll get fouls or actually get buckets and uh, love was able to throw one to lebron in this game that that worked it was i think he he got fouled i really love that play that is just like incredibly impressive to be able to throw a pass like that on target be able to hold a seal like that to have the level of communication from 50 feet away or or more that's one of my favorite plays in basketball and it's a great way of getting a defense on their toes because in order to be in position to defend that it's it's a real it's a really tough call and especially when you have guys like lebron and love doing it it's it's just nasty i I love it too all right that'll do it for today check out the twitter nba show tomorrow we also if you are a patreon subscriber and if you are not we really sincerely hope that you should be we're going to be doing both a patreon mailbag and then also a regular mailbag as well in the very near future danny has posted that so please submit your questions we need plenty of them you got a great chance of getting an answer because it's actually going to end up being two full podcasts that we're doing off of this set of questions and if you want to subscribe that's patreon.com slash duncan larue and you'll see that url on the banner behind us on the twitter nba show tomorrow what are the games again danny Wizards, Sixers, and Lakers, Warriors. Yeah, looking forward to seeing the Sixers again, being able to lock in, and then that uh, Wizards-Sixers game, the first game of the season that we did actually was a lot of fun, and then getting to finally take a look at at Lonzo Ball and the rest of the Lakers live and give our live commentary will be a lot of fun. So you can follow me on Periscope at Nate Duncan NBA or on Twitter, be tweeting it out, and hope that you will join us for those games tomorrow on NBA TV. Talk to you all then. (laughs) 